0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Honey, what's he wearing? I don't know, it must be ethnic. (laughs) When I was a child, my parents would dress us, my siblings and I, in bright Chinese gowns and They had to sing in Chinese at the First Baptist Church of Albuquerque, where I was born. I'm sure it was cute for a lot of people, but for me, as I sat last night at my dinner table and reflected on how uh, six-year-old, seven-year-old me felt, there was two things I felt. Nervous, because I was a little kid. Standing on a big stage, singing, in Chinese, uh, and ashamed. Because I didn't know who I was. I just wanted to be an American kid, born in Albuquerque. Everyone else wanted me to be an Asian kid. It took me 40 years to risk using the name my parents gave me instead of the nickname that I gave myself well I dressed myself this morning except for this button here I couldn't get that one Um, my wife did my braid I finally figured out who I am I am a Christian that is I am in Christ Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. You are all one in Christ Jesus. It would be easy to stop there. See, don't don't worry about ethnicity. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Identity in Christ is all that matters. But the verse goes on there's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm not ready to do away with that distinction. So how do we understand Galatians 3? Let us understand Galatians 3 in light of Revelation 7. That in heaven there is a multitude from every nation, from all tribes, and all peoples, and every language. In other words, my ethnicity and yours will endure into eternity. Raise your hand if that applies to you. Everyone's hand should be up. Everyone has an ethnicity. That is how God made you. Brothers and sisters, God loves all the nations He speaks your language. He knows your people. So yes, my identity firmly in Christ and in being Asian American. I will never stop being either. This is God's perfect design. So to all of you, my fellow Asians at Bethlehem, who especially this week, are feeling hurt, broken, scared. Your church loves you. We may not speak your language. We may not say your name perfect. But we will learn it. We will stumble until we can say your names. We value you. Let me pray. You are the God of the earth. You are the God of every ethnicity. We believe that. We have it written on our wall. Every people. So, Father, especially for those that are feeling vulnerable, for those that are feeling misunderstood, under attack, and isn't that all of us at some point or another? Would you come and meet us? And meet us now, especially in your word. Your word is perfect. Thousands of engineers constantly writing my iPhone software must constantly update what they've done Because it keeps breaking. But your word, I have never seen an update on my phone to your word. Because it's perfect. Perfect. So, we bask in it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going to continue now on our journey through Acts. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look verse by verse at what Luke has recorded for us. I was talking with Pastor Jason about this passage, and he said, Would you like to preach this passage? I said, Yes, thank you. I am so excited about this passage. Verse 44 you could keep your word open, you could look down at it. As you listen to me and you wonder, does the text say that? Keep your Bible open, look at the Bible. Verse 44 all who believed were together and had all things in common. So structurally, if you look at the text as a group of phrases, this verse serves as a kind of a summary statement, like an anthem for us in this particular passage. Remember, the miracle of Pentecost wasn't just the sound, as Pastor Jason has reminded us, just the sound of rushing wind, not just the languages, not just the tongues of fire. The greatest miracle was what? You guys should know this by now. The repentance, right? 3,000 people repenting. But even the greatest miracle wasn't the only miracle. Pastor Jared helped us to understand the miracle of community. So now, Luke is going to tell us more about that community. That assembly, as Pastor Kenny called it a couple weeks ago. the, The assembly of Christ. The church. So, in verse 44, there are Two, just two, main descriptions of the church. They were together. And, look down, they had all things in common. So, after working on the discourse analysis, that's, I didn't get trained in arcing, which I know is such a helpful tool. I was trained in discourse analysis. So, after working on the discourse analysis together with my wife, Catherine, we spent some time reflecting on this idea of together and all things in common. So here was our question. What kinds of organizations in this world, think with me here, are designed, maybe they don't function that way perfectly, but what kinds of organizations in this world are designed to be that way? Together, all things in common. It was pretty difficult to think of any. Um, Obviously, uh, there's a lot of negative examples. Right? So I thought of quite a few. Probably the most obvious counterexample is a city. Right? So in every city, you need transportation to get goods in and out. And so there's these railroads. And where there's tracks, you have what? You have the right side of the tracks. And if you have the right side of the tracks, you have the wrong side of the tracks. So a city is together. Not everything is in common in a city. Another obvious counterexample is a corporation so yes corporations work together it's literally the name right corp body and they have some things in common like everyone gets a key badge or a parking pass but once you get inside what is there there's a ladder right we we talk about the corporate ladder i guarantee you no one talking about the corporate ladder has ever thought i'm gonna climb down that ladder (laughs) (laughs) up is better Together, not everything in common. How about some positive examples? Uh, We really couldn't think of anything significant, uh, but here's a few. Kids' birthday parties, right? Everyone gets the same pointy hat. Uh, Everyone gets the same opportunity to violently stick a donkey with a pin. Uh, Everyone gets the same goodie bag with plastic garbage to later throw away at home. (laughs) Everyone gets the exact... Same piece of cake that some kid just blew his breath onto. (laughs) Uh, Another positive example of together, all things in common, public transportation. Think about the seats on the train to the airport. Uh, They may face different directions, right? Every direction. They have different elevations, but they're all equally uncomfortable and all equally soiled. Uh, Of course, the, the most obvious positive example of an organization that has been designed to be together and have all things in common is the family. But painfully, we know that's almost never the case, that it's a perfect organization. Why can't we find organizations in this world that we can easily, authentically describe in this way? It's not many requirements. Just together and all things in common we know why it's uncommon it's because of the world's most deadly pandemic sin the natural state of man is basically to be the opposite as soon as we are together like when you're f- you by yourself you're fine right you get your own way well, man you get two people together you got two opinions and man suddenly we are not in common here the natural state of man is to be the opposite of what God commands. Why does God tell us to love him? Because naturally we don't. Why are we told to love our neighbor? Because we don't. Why does Paul command us, don't just look to your own interests, look also to the interests of others. Because it's as natural to look to your own interests as it is natural to not look to the interests of others. This is why finding an organization that is both together and has everything in common is so incredibly rare. Even a family that's supposed to be the best model uh, often is the one that hurts us the most. We, we were supposed to be together. We were supposed to have all things in common. Ultimately, so Catherine and I, we, we really racked our brains thinking about this. The best example of this phenomenon is a single organism, like a body. A body, by definition, is together. If your body is in two places, you might want to contact a mortician. If you lose a limb, it's no longer a part of your body. A limb is only a part of your body so long as it's attached. And every part of your body has all things in common with every other part of your body. So take eating, for example. My favorite example. When I eat lunch, I don't eat carrot for my eyes, fish for my brain, spinach for my forearms, uh, kimchi for my digestive system. Everything we eat nourishes every part of our body. A body is together, and it has all things in common. God's design for the church is unique in this world. It is a God-centered organization, not a man-centered organization. It is an others-centered, others-focused organization, not a self-focused organization. Together with all things in common, the church is a marvel in the world. Look down, verse 45, next verse. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. So in this um, passage, as we diagrammed it, this verse is unique. It kind of was down into the write on the paper, it describes how. This question answers, how did they have all things in common? So I want to state right up front, so that none of you are distracted, this verse is not about communism, despite what I'm wearing. This this verse does not answer the question, uh, what kind of national government is best for modern societies? That's not what I'm preaching about this morning, okay? Because that's not what Luke was writing about to Theophilus. We care about what the author was writing. So that's what we're going to talk about. This verse answers the question, how did the early church actualize this, co- uh, this commonness, having all things in common? Think about the membership of that early church. Uh, there was a wide range of resources and needs. We know from next week's passage—I'll be here again next week. I apologize in advance. (laughs) We know from next week that there were beggars in the church. Lame man, healed. He used to beg daily. Now he's in the church. There was homeowners in the church. Look at the text. They met in homes, right? So homeowners. Um, So here we have this early church, Jesus' original followers— plus the 3,000 added at Pentecost, and they have begun to share life together. Uh, I started to think about what would that be like? What would that be like to follow Jesus around for all these years? Suddenly you have all these newcomers into your family. 3,000 people is a lot of people, guys. That's a lot of people. I think it might have been something like this. Have you ever been on a retreat or like a short-term trip together with a group? On a trip like that, you don't really know everyone when you start out. But what happens, right? Uh, You begin to have experiences together. Something funny happens, and then it becomes, we call it, what do we call it? An inside joke. Inside of what? Inside of our community. Then you face a challenge, and you learn to overcome it together. You experience success and you celebrate together. Someone's baby pukes on a train and you suffer together and then you clean it up together. That really happened to us on a Bethlehem trip to to China, actually. Well, the early church started to develop a culture around resources and needs. They started selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. So we need to be careful here, uh, because the language and the history are also careful. The Bible does not say the apostles started selling the people's possessions. It doesn't say the apostles started guilting people into selling their possessions. Uh, Who was doing the selling? So we're going to jump ahead just a little bit to a story that is familiar to all of you. Acts chapter 5. In verse 1 we read, Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. It belongs to them. They are the subject of the verb. They did the action. They sold it. How do we know they weren't coerced into selling it? Well, everyone's doing it. We better do it or they're going to condemn us. Right? Uh, we read in the next few verses, Peter says to them, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? This is a helpful insider look at this culture of we're selling our stuff to giving to one another. This was not coercion. This was the spirit moving in the body to develop this culture in the church. And of course we know there were members that didn't sell their home because that's where the verse happens, right? They're still meeting together. So what did shape the culture of having all things in common? I think in Luke 2, in our passage, we don't know the answer. Luke doesn't give us the answer of how that started to happen. But we have the Gospels to learn more about the people of the early church. So we're going to look for a moment at the story of Zacchaeus. The wee little man. I don't think he was Irish, but we sang about him like he was Irish, right? (laughs) Well, it turns out, they never told me in Sunday school, that Zacchaeus was something like a first century capo. K-A-P-O. Do you know that word? A capo is a concentration camp prisoner who oppressed their fellow prisoners in order to maintain the favor of their Nazi captors for themselves. And Zacchaeus wasn't just any ordinary capo. Luke says in chapter 19, Luke 19, he was a chief tax collector. Like a capo of capos. And Luke adds, he was rich. So imagine, you're living as Jewish people under Roman occupation. Foreign invaders, as it will. And these Romans are requiring tax from you. And they're not coming themselves to get it. They're finding kind of the traitorous capos. That survive by doing this, but not just survive. Imagine if you are in a concentration camp and the capo is actually pudgy while you are dying. Uh, Zacchaeus was fat with wealth. And he did it, grew wealthy by being a tax collector. Imagine that. How would you feel about Zacchaeus. So one day, we all know Zacchaeus heard Jesus coming down. Luke writes, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, okay, so here's Jesus, right? God in the flesh, Rabbi, miracle worker, dividing right from wrong, cleaning the temple. He, now he's, now the capo's going to get it. <laughs> right? Now the capo's going to get it. Jesus knows how this guy behaves. So what does Jesus say to him? Come down. I'm, come down because I'm going to smack you. Come down. For I must stay at your house tonight. How, how does that make you feel? For me, it's like, yuck, you're, you're going to, I don't even know what to say, right? You should be rebuking this guy, and you're going to stay at his house. So Zacchaeus hurried down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all grumbled. We can understand that, right? He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Yuck. What happens next is a miracle. God grants repentance to Zacchaeus. Now, Luke doesn't write that. We have to infer that. Because Zacchaeus says something. And we know from Scripture that the words we speak come from the overflow of our heart. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of everything from this half, I restore it fourfold. You might begin to ask, but is that enough? I mean, how long was he a chief tax collector? How much wealth? Did he accrue? Is this really righteousness? Jesus answers the question for us. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is a challenging picture of redemption. How many onlookers hated Jesus for saying that? Instead of rebuke, he gets repentance. He gets restoration. He gets salvation. He betrayed the sons of Abraham, and now he gets to be one. He got rich oppressing us. Yet Jesus sees his repentance And proclaims his salvation. I am glad that Zacchaeus met Jesus. I am glad that Zacchaeus repented. I am glad that the Spirit of God moved in Zacchaeus' heart to make real and meaningful reparations from his wealth. I am glad that salvation came to his house because I am like Zacchaeus. I need Jesus to save me too. Back to Acts 2. What formed the culture of selling your possessions and giving it to all as any had need? I think the testimony and the life of Zacchaeus probably helped to shape that. John, in 1 John, would later write, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? What we see is that the early church was a responsive community, responding to one another's needs. This is how a body operates. One way we do this at Bethlehem, the formal way, the administrative way, is through Helping Hand. If you have resources that you would like to help those in our body that need those resources, you can give to Helping Hand. That's a wonderful amazing way. And many of us have been ministered to it, too, by the Helping Hand Fund. But I imagine in this body there are Thousands of ways in which you all do this for one another that never gets published. We we don't share that on Facebook. No one ever uh, proclaims that. But we know we are responding to each other as a body. Here's a great image of a responsive body. And this came from Allison Sedham, who's usually right here helping us, uh, bringing us to the Lord in worship. She's worked in the field of physical therapy, and this is what she wrote. Great little story to help us to see how a body is connected. We treated a patient for extreme shoulder pain. He couldn't move it without shooting pain that completely debilitated him. And after many ways of helping him, his pain continued with prolonged movement. So we sat him down and asked him to tell us if anything had changed over the last three months. He thought about it, and then he told us he was pretty sure he would broken his toe on the opposite side of his bad shoulder. At first, I thought this might be insignificant. However, we had him walk, and in watching him walk, it suddenly became painfully obvious. His entire gait, the way a person moves, had changed to compensate for the pain in his foot. His opposite shoulder was swinging too hard and in a different plane of movement in the absence of a properly functioning foot. So we treated the pain in his foot and within a week and a half, his shoulder pain left as if it were never there. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a church that feels the pain of a broken toe as a whole body. I want us to be a body that is responsive to one another's needs. To rejoice with each other, right? Romans 12, 15, you've heard me say this. And to weep with each other. Can we be together and have all things in common? Verse 46, look down again. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So as we've already talked about, the best image of the church being together, having all things in common, in my opinion, is a body. So what are we seeing in verse 46? We see the body continuing. That's the, that's the verb tense there. They continued to do this. Continuing in several things. They continued in attending the temple together. They continued in eating together in their homes. Breaking bread together is what's written there in your your Bible. They continued in receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. So let me bring verse 46 into our body analogy. If verse 44 describes the body, then verse 46 describes a body in motion. And that motion has two steps, together in the temple, together in home. Homes, temple, homes, temple, homes. As I did that in my mind, I thought of Pastor Jared. He always talks about left foot, right foot of discipleship, right? Um, Worship, small group, worship, small group, left foot, right foot. The body in motion, walking towards God together. So this is from the American Bone Health Organization— This is what they say about walking. The cycle of how a person walks is called the gait. The gait cycle is divided into two phases. The time a foot is on the ground is called the stance. That makes up 60% of the cycle. The motion of the foot off the ground is called the swing. Now, This is a great image for us to help us understand the movement of the early church. The stance, the posture of the early church was to worship God, to be devoted to the prayers, and to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. But the stance of the church, the stance of the church, was not the whole story. A body in motion is not a body in a stance only. As we walk, there's also a swing. And the swing of the church was to be devoted to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Listen to that. I mean, I love the juxtaposition. Uh, I recently told my wife as a joke, because I'm trying to drink more water, my hobby is to drink hot water. That's not a really good hobby, right? But the the juxtaposition, listen to this here. I am devoted as a Christian to break bread with you. Can that be one of our devotions? The stance of the church gave the church the grounding that it needed To do the swing of the church together. Worshiping God together. Hearing his word preached. Singing songs together. This stance grounds us in Christ. So that we can swing into enjoying fellowship together. And receiving food together in each other's homes. And this sweet swing of fellowship. I should just walk, right? So stance... And swing and stance. No one really walks like that, but you get it. Uh, this swing of fellowship, this swing of enjoying food together in each other's homes, brings us, erupts back into stance, into the stance of worship. So one more question of our text before we go to our last verse. What happens when we eat together in each other's homes? So let me start with home. I've already done this sermon, so I just pulled it out and I'm going to read it for us. This is um, from my sermon last year on 1 Peter 2. Have you ever stopped to think deeply about the meaning of a house? A house is the central place of human life, it's the central place on earth designed for human flourishing. It's the place where we get to simply exist. We may travel all over town to conduct trade at the marketplace, take a walk at a park, seek help at a hospital, enjoy food at a restaurant, be entertained at a theater, but at the end of the day, we all want to come home. What is God's design for a home? A home is where we are raised, where we can feel safe and be nourished. A home is where we go to be at peace. A home is where we rest and become rejuvenated. A home is where we can sing out loud without being judged. A home is where we celebrate birthdays and graduations. A home is where we gather to grieve. A home is where we can weep and wail, then wash our face and heal. In other words, a home is God's design for your flourishing. And so, We as the church, when we welcome outsiders into our home, we make them a part of our home, welcome them into our house. We don't just welcome them into the building. We are welcoming them into the dwelling space that contains our life. Invite each other into your homes. You should do it. And eat together eat together. It wasn't just in homes, it was breaking bread in homes. When we eat together, we breathe in the aromas of the kitchen together. We experience the warmth of a meal together. That's why I don't recommend eating salad. (laughs) We feel the warmth of friendship toward one another in the warmth of our food. We see each other's messiness and frailty. We see each other's hunger and need for nourishment. We become sustained together. We find great enjoyment in our food together. We receive it with glad and generous hearts. We are able to relax together. Is it any surprise that Jesus, who reclined at table with his friends would have a body that reclines at table with their friends? We learn about each other. We learn about family culture and history. We find out quirky things about each other. We hear each other's stories. We laugh together. We learn from each other. So I I, I try to write down... I'm I'm not even going to go in my notes here. I'm just going to remember. So in our first year at Bethlehem... um, my wife, Catherine, and I had no kids, and we lived in the basement apartment of Pastor John and his wife, Noel. And every Sunday, we had the opportunity to break bread in their home. And in my life, that was one of the first times that I ate at a majority culture member's home, a white family's home. And uh, in the Chinese home, we don't pass we use chopsticks and we get our food. The food stays in place. So week after week, um, what would happen is the plates would start passing. And you know what would happen next to my seat? All the food would pile up next to my seat because I didn't know how to pass. I, it just wasn't my habit. So about twice a meal, Catherine would say, pass the food. You got to pass the food. Like, oh, yeah, okay. So we're Learning together. But we learn real things, too, how our experiences have shaped us. We learn how God has worked in our lives, and our faith is built up as we eat together. As we eat together, we begin to care for one another. We begin to care about the things that others care about. We feel mercy toward one another. We pass good things to one another. And we receive good things from one another. In all, we begin to understand, to trust, and to love one another. It is by God's perfect and intentional design that our bodies are nourished, not by the sun or electricity, but by food. And it is also God's perfect and intentional design That the body of Christ is also nourished when we enjoy that food together. If Luke describes Jesus as a man who, quote, came eating and drinking, it's no surprise that his body comes after him eating and drinking. The swing of the church, eating together in homes, is a celebration of our life in God. And it strengthens us for our stance of worship in Christ together. Swing and stance, swing and stance. This is the body in motion. Last verse, verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Is it any wonder that God's people were praising him? Signs and wonders were being done. God's people were actively meeting each other's needs. They were together and had all things in common. And the world around them looked on. What is happening here? What is happening? I think what's happening is the fulfillment of John chapter 13. The new commandment. It's the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. A new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And by this, what's the this? Love each other in the way that you remember I loved you. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. And they did love one another. The world around the church saw the love of Christ And the power of God on display. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Bethlehem, can we do this together? This is what I want to do with you. And our neighbors right around here, our neighbors, literally our neighbors, and your neighbors, those are the ones that I want the Lord to add to our number. So all those empty pews where the coronavirus is, Fill them with your neighbors. (laughs) Which neighbors, to be exact? I want the neighbors who lived in fear of the riots to be added to our number. I want the neighbors who smashed the windows and set Lake Street on fire to be added to our number. I want the neighbors on the inside of the courthouse barrier to be added to our number. I want the neighbors on the outside of the courtyard barrier to be added to our number. There is so much pain and anger in our city. And do you know what? We have, and I believe this with all of my heart, The only answer, the only, we don't have the best answer, we have the only answer that will heal our city. Do you believe that? The only solitary answer that will heal our city. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. And perhaps the most difficult and sadly even in the church most controversial commandment to love, Bethlehem, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't just want to tell someone about Jesus and hope they get saved somewhere else. We want the Lord to add them to our number so that stranger that we might be afraid of and we don't understand why they do those things becomes friend. So that enemy becomes brother becomes sister right here in our body in this sanctuary in your home so as we close i want to share this little dream with all of you Uh, as many of you know for the past i think it's been seven years now i've been uh, working with some of you in doing a ministry that we call sunday brunch for those of you that have joined us since the pandemic uh, you've never seen this but once a month, we make a meal for roughly 625 servings is our, our goal. And we eat brunch together. I hope now after this sermon, you understand better why we do that. It's not just for food. It is for food, but it's for this. COVID has been heartbreakingly difficult for so many of us. So as the Lord begins to lift this plague, it is our hope at the downtown campus To bring Sunday brunch back, but into something better than it was before COVID. Jason and I have talked and prayed together about reintroducing Sunday brunch as something we want to call family meal. And over this coming year, my dream, our dream, is to move it from once a month to every week. Every week, eating together. Imagine it. Lunch together as a body. Be thinking about your schedule. How would I do that? How, how can I value eating with this body? Uh, okay, so I need to come here, go to set, put my kids in nursery there, serve here, do this here. And I don't need to put a crock pot on before I get to church because we're going to have lunch here. Growing up at Mandarin Baptist Church Pasadena, when you walked into the courtyard, I remember this. Um, I hear the band warming up. I hear the Chinese choir singing these Chinese hymns. And, but the thing I remember most is the sound of walks and the voices of old Chinese women yelling at each other, Canquara! Right? It means hurry up. Púrate! Yeah, Púrate in español, sí. I want that here. Um, We feasted together after worship every week. And you know what that felt like? What church felt like? It felt like family. It felt like family. I'm going to need your help to do it. So join me and let me pray. Father God, your design for the church is unbelievable we could search high and low in the world and we'll find things that are together but at odds we'll find things that are in common but as soon as they meet each other they don't they don't really like each other what an amazing place the church is what you have made for us i pray father that you would help us to be like the early church strong in our stance of worship and prayer, fierce in our swing of breaking bread and homes together. I pray that you would help us to be a responsive body, noticing each other's needs, not waiting for someone else to take care of it, but stepping in ourselves to meet that need. And then, Father, I pray that the watching world even those that we might fear or violently disagree with. I pray that they would see the real love that we have for each other, that they would know there is a God in heaven. How else could a body on earth exist like this? And I pray that you would bring them, add them into our number. In Jesus' name, amen. 55415. Five, Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.